Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can just drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep and follow us on Twitter at listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me on today's podcast is my friend, Jesse Sessler. Did I say that right? You did. I was practicing. You know, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always conscious of people's names, in particular their last names, because people will get mine wrong, or what oh, they'll I do. Can imagine. What I don't even do. think I can say yours. Timpano. Timpano. Yeah, it's an easy last name. I think it's an easy last name, but see, people... I, I see it spelt sometimes, and I don't know. Okay, I, it, it's a little intimidating, is so it? to speak. This is from Mr. Zessler, whose Twitter feed is at Zessler, and I'll have that on uh, the podcast. But let's talk about Nintendo. First, before we talk about Nintendo, um, you have a website, jamminggames.com. And what exactly is that website? Well, when I'm not doing casting for work and trying to make a living, I uh, like to make some videos and talk about everything Nintendo. Believe it or not, even though it's a 25-year... I think we're getting past 30 years now. A 30-year-old console. There's still a lot of people really, really dedicated to it today and make new content. So I'd like to try and cover it and write about it, make some videos occasionally. So what were the steps that got you to Nintendo? Um, when I was in high school, there was a. I lived in a small town, and uh, there wasn't a lot to do. So. My friends and I went to this tiny, tiny mom-and-pop game shop, and we saw a Nintendo, maybe like $20, so we decided, oh, that'd be fun. Uh, Picked it up, and uh, just messed around, and it turned out that it was kind of fun. So, it just was happenstance that they had Nintendo and not, say, Atari or ColecoVision? Well, I mean, they did have both of those things. They had quite a bit at this store, but... I don't know what entirely it was, but something drew me to that black and gray box. I see. And so, um, what's the small town you're from? Uh, Keswick. Oh, you're from Keswick, Ontario. Yes. Tell me about Keswick. Any claims to fame? I always like to ask people the claim, claim it, to fame. It, it's a very hockey-oriented okay. town, and I grew up despising hockey. Okay. So uh, I was a little bit of an outsider, so to speak. So you never played hockey. Do you follow hockey? Not in the least. What's funny is, so 
I don't follow hockey. I, I think when I was young, when I was born, it was the, I think three years prior was the last time that the Toronto Maple Leafs won uh, Stanley <laughs> Cup. And so after that, my dad was so discouraged that he never watched hockey. And therefore, I never got into hockey because my dad, I think, was just upset. Wow. And so as a Canadian, people have an expectation that you know about hockey. Do you find that? hundred percent. Yeah. And then it's so weird to explain, like, I don't really follow it. Like, I love watching it's national. It's so awkward. It, it can get really just uncomfortable. It's so... It, everyone has to know hockey. It's right. one of those things. One of those things. And I, I played ball hockey when I was a kid, but that was about it. So I've never mm. really played ice hockey. I played it one time. We went up to a friend's cabin, and it was a bunch of us. And we're all like, let's play hockey. Let's play hockey. You know you've had a few beers in you. And stuff, oh, of right? course. So... We're playing hockey, and there was this one guy who's like, you know, the sportsman, the all, you know, very fit. He looked mm. like he could be on one of those fitness magazines, like very strong and hefty. Mm. Right? We're playing hockey. First 10 minutes, I give him a black eye. <laughs> to this oh, day, goodness. that's my proudest hockey moment, <laughs> is giving this huge guy black eye. And then people would come into the cabin and be like, what happened to your eye? And they'd all look at me, and I was like hockey and they're like wow you must be really like a bruiser and I'm like no it just I don't know he came around me and I don't even know what I did but some something was certainly on my side during that game so let me ask you this let's get back to Nintendo mm -hmm. what is it about Nintendo that makes you an enthusiast it, it's one simple thing and that's what the simplicity oh there's directional buttons two buttons, an A and a B button, a select and a start, and that's it. So for most games, you're using the control pad and either clicking A or B, that's it. Modern controllers, I think it's up to 16 or 17 buttons, and then there's the control pad, and then there's two control sticks, and it can get And you can get like... Uh, attachments that make it even more complex or say like some sort of weaponized control pad mm. or there's the ones that you sort of lay on the floor and you jump oh, and step on or there's I think even almost full body suits. It's, it's ridiculous. It's right. honestly gotten a little out of hand so the, the simplistic nature of just the two buttons and the little control pad, it's, it's uh, refreshing and nice. You can just pick something up and you know how to play it's kind of like there's grace in the simplicity mm. so i remember nintendo when i was a kid are they still making nintendo games or has the company folded because i i remember nintendo and atari and ColecoVision. Mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. happened to those guys um it's it's kind of interesting uh in Around like the early 80s, Atari mm -hmm. was huge. huge. Everyone had Atari. Everyone was into Atari. Mm -hmm. But they got a little too big for themselves. Oh, really? They flooded the market with mm -hmm. games that weren't that good, but they thought people would buy. Right. Um, the infamous one is uh, the E.T. Atari game. Right. Uh, people consider it infamously bad. It's not that bad in actuality, but it wasn't Pac-Man. They... Right. Wanted another Pac-Man. Is that when Atari jumped the shark, the E.T. game? 
Yeah, they ended up making, I think, around a million copies or something, okay. and just, they didn't sell, of right. course. Uh, they actually, there's a recent story, uh, they buried, the, the rumor always was that they buried all of these unbought, unsold Atari copies oh, really? in some landfill in the middle of the desert, sure. and they had a recent ex- excavation and found them all. It was always a rumor up until right. this point but it turns out yeah they did flood wow. the market a little bit and had to just get rid of all these copies sure. and eventually that leaded to just the game market crashing mm-hmm. um, and Nintendo sort of just slipped right in and brought it back to life rejuvenated it if you will and that's why a lot of people have a big attachment to it yeah I have friends who have Nintendo boxes that they have like sort of in their games room mm-hmm. and it's kind of it takes like a place of sort of a proud place in that sort of games room and then they'll have all their Nintendo games and they'll be like mm-hmm. Marco which one would you like to play and I'm like I don't know show me for a lot of people it was their first console and right. that's like your first of anything mm-hmm. can really be memorable and like mean something sure. to you and that's why I think that Nintendo has stayed around so long because mm-hmm. the fact is uh, it, it still has a huge community of the old Nintendo in 2016. Right. There are people still making games for it. Not Nintendo specifically, but hardware enthusiasts and game developers making new games. That will work on the old console, the old but console. that aren't Nintendo approved? Is that... That's correct. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, just made a life of its own mm-hmm. it's kind of wondrous that people have been keeping this uh, granted obsolete hardware alive and right. kicking 30 plus years later it's kind of magical if you think about it so let me ask you this what was the first game you played on your Nintendo console um, it's not a very original answer okay. but it, it has to be Super Mario Brothers okay Super Mario awesome and um what is your favorite game, or what is one of your favorite games? Because I'm sure that's a hard question. That's kind of like, you know, it, it is. It's a very difficult question. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's one that you always go to? Oh, that, see, that's an easier okay. question. Uh, there's about 650-plus officially licensed games. And then there's, oh gosh... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of unofficial, so non-Nintendo licensed ones. Right. So you've got quite a big pool to pick from. Sure. Um, one of the standouts for me, one of the ones that, again, it has sort of an infamy to it, is Battletoads. Battletoads. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, as everyone remembers, Ninja Turtles was the thing. That was the in-cartoon the comics were huge. It was everywhere. Yeah, and we've seen you know re- recent reincarnations of it with movies and and all kinds of games exactly. and toys and stuff. So um, many companies wanted to sort of ride the coattails. Like, how do they get in on this? How do they have their own Ninja Turtles? Right. And that's how Battletoads came around. It started just as a game. Uh, so it's a ripoff. A hundred percent of. Ninja Turtles. Awesome. But it, it had a sort of charm to okay. it. Uh, it was a two-player, so you could play with a friend at the awesome. same time, playing uh, not against each other, but, but c- comrades. Exactly. Okay. And or comtoads. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it, 
it had a cartoony aesthetic. So when you okay. would punch people, the fist would enlarge and become a giant boxing glove. Uh, when right. you would kick people, your foot would turn into a giant boot. It was very humorous and very cartoony. But the thing that makes it so infamous is the difficulty. Oh. Yeah. Um, much like many games of the era, uh, the longevity was cemented by the difficulty. So they would make things more difficult than they should be to keep kids playing right. and playing and playing. Sure. So they'd, it'd take a long time to finish. They went a little bit too far with this oh. one. But it, it's... The gameplay and just the, the everything about it was very just fun and entertaining. That it kept people going back again, again, and not being frustrated. Not that's a very important point. You don't want to have a game that's so difficult that you get frustrated, put it down, and you don't want to play it again. Sure. Uh, you just want it to be difficult enough that you think I can do this. Right. I can get by, and for that reason, that that's always one that's been a good one just have, to go back to have you gotten to the end of it oh god no no you no, haven't no as a nintendo enthusiast you haven't been able to get to the end of Battletoads. it's it's difficult wow. um uh, there are many cheat devices that okay. you can use so if if you count that which i don't right i have beaten it i see but but on its own without the cheat devices you have not beaten Battletoads has beaten you till till this point yeah Defeated. What, what was the last game Nintendo made, officially made? The last officially licensed Nintendo game is... Everyone remembers Mario. Everyone right. remembers Luigi. Right. But they wanted to add another character. I see. That was Wario. Um, he was kind of like the anti-Mario, but they didn't really know what to do with him. So, like any character that they don't know what to do with, they... Gave him a puzzle game. Okay. And that was called Wario's Woods. Came out in 1994, and it was actually a, a really good game, but unfortunately by that point, Nintendo already had the Super Nintendo that was right. out, and that was picking up a lot of steam and just f taking over the market. So it kind of just came and went. But it, it was really good, and people tend to not give it enough credit. Since I'm talking to a Nintendo expert and someone who has, like, you know, you do all these sort of this writing on Nintendo and mm -hmm. videos and whatnot, and I'll mention your site again, which is jamminggames.com. You can find it on our sort of um, podcast notes in case Thank you want to see exactly where to go. Um, have you ever taken apart a box? Yes. So you're like a doctor of Nintendo. So, doctor, <laughs> tell me, when you take apart a box, what do you see and what do you specifically look for? Okay, um, this is gonna dive uh, quite deep. Great. But I think everyone remembers there's the one aspect of Nintendo games that is just always stuck around. It's become a very cultural icon when you see people blowing into the cartridge. Right, of course, you would blow into it when it would be like staticky or when you would have sort of issues with the game, is that correct? The games, you would put them in and they would never work. Right. Never. It was infuriating. Everyone had the same problem. Mm -hmm. To put that into context, basically, because games just weren't that big anymore when Nintendo hit the market, they wanted to approach it in a different way. So they made the console look more like a VHS player, or a VCR, sorry. Right. So you had to slide the cartridge in and then press it down. Right. 
So when you open up the Nintendo, what's actually going on is they have their main motherboard, mm -hmm. and there's a pinout on that. Attached to that pinout is called the 72-pin connector. Now, that connector is a long C-shape of uh, pins. And when you put in the Nintendo cartridge and press it down, it bends those pins. Okay. So think about that. Every time that you put a game in, you're bending the pins. You press it down and take it out, you're bending the pins again. And it got to the point where these pins were bent so much that just it wasn't touching the cartridge anymore. Okay. And that's why many people, when they would put in the games, they wouldn't work. So it, I'm not sure exactly how it came up, but... I hate to burst everyone's bubble, but blowing on the cartridges actually doesn't do anything. Oh, I see. When you put the games in, you have to sort of wiggle it around okay. and put it at the specific angle so that the pins can hit each other. Blowing, I guess, created this sort of placebo effect. I see. So it's kind of interesting to look back. Um, many people, surprisingly, have uh, made some hardware revisions okay. again very recent within the past two three years to circumvent this um there's one that's called the blinking light win uh, and essentially what that is is instead of they replace the 72 pin connector okay with one that you simply slide the game in and it doesn't allow you to press the game down okay once you slide it in the pins are touching and then it just works it's there's many, many instances of people creating new hardware revisions to Nintendo like this. And again, it goes back to just how insane it is to see that this, again, 30-year-old hardware is right. being kept alive with all these new hardware revisions to make, to extend the lives of these ancient consoles. It's quite fascinating when you really get into it. But isn't pushing it down part of the fun, part of the sort of ceremony of using the cartridge? Of course. It's such a cultural icon. Right. I mean, uh, you walk into a Hot Topic and you see tons of t-shirts with a picture of a cartridge and it says, blow me. Everyone knows that. You press it down and right. you get that satisfying click. But when it's, for people like me, it right. gets to the point where I'm like, I just want to play the game. Okay. I'm very sick and tired of having to... So do you have this modification on your console? I don't have that specific okay. modification. And Do you have another modification? Uh, sort of. Tell me about this modification. So, there's this company called Analog Co. And they, they're known for uh, a specific device called a, a consoleized MVS Neo Geo. Wow. I'm not going to get... Up. A consoleized MVS... VG MVS MVS Neo Geo Neo Geo. So okay. I'm not gonna dive too deep. No, into no, this. I do want you to dive okay. into this. So what that if is? If I have an expert on, I need to know exactly what I'm asking. Uh, I I'm, I may be uh, knowledgeable in the ways of Nintendo, but Neo Geo. Oh my goodness, is that ever a whole other can of worms? Okay, so tell me about it. As yeah. as, as as much as you want to get it. Totally, totally. So what this is. If you might remember, back again in the 80s, Neo Geo, the MVS, was, uh, or, oh, yeah, the MVS 
I can't remember the specific acronym, but it was essentially just a, an arcade machine. Okay. You go to your local arcade, and it would be a multi-game arcade machine. Okay. And it had some really good titles like Metal Slug, uh, Puzzle Bobble, uh, a lot of ones that I can't quite remember. Okay. But it it garnered sort of this big cult following. So they decided, oh, we have all of these games on this arcade machine. Why don't we turn that into a console that people can buy and bring home? Oh. And that, I believe, is called the Neo Geo AES. Okay. Again, I'm not entirely sure what the acronym stands for. Fair enough. But the problem was, this was literally an arcade machine shrunken down to fit into your like living room. Right. So, of course, if you remember, arcade machines are kind of expensive. Sure. So this AES cost about $1,000, wow. maybe 1200 I can't really remember. Okay. And then the games were like 100 plus each. It was ridiculously expensive, especially right. when compared to something like Nintendo, which sure. is uh, $200 right. for the console and $50 per the game. Uh, so what many companies like Analog Co. decided to do was consoleize the arcade machines. The big distinct factor between the AES and the MVS is the games couldn't be swapped between them. Oh. So if you had the big arcade machine, you couldn't put the console games in, even though they were the same ones. They had a block out. Okay. Essentially, they wanted the arcade retailers to buy these overpriced, expensive ones. Of course. So that they can make more money. Sure. So it ended up splitting the market in a really strange way. So in the world in 2016, there are significantly more um, Neo Geo MVS games and machines. Okay. So analog, since it's a lot easier to get your hands on those... MVS games made the console where you can play those. I see. It's it's super weird and super in-depth, but it, again, has this huge cult following. So getting back... I'm sure. sorry for the tangent. No, I love it. Uh, getting back to some of the other products that they made. Um, the one specifically relating to Nintendo is called the Analog NT. And... I have one of these, okay. and oh my goodness, don't get me started on how amazing this machine oh, really? is. So what they did was, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, NES, is how we know it in uh, North America right. and most of the world. But in Japan, uh, they released the console as the family computer. Uh, oh. Yeah, again, uh, video games weren't really big at the time, Right. so they wanted to try and avoid calling it a video game system. Okay. So the family computer is a whole other beast. It's the same hardware right. as the NES, but the cartridges are smaller, the controllers are attached to the console. It's very weird. Analog took a bunch of non-functioning Famicom, uh, that's the short version, family sure. computer, Famicom. They took a bunch of the Famicom uh, non-functioning consoles and fixed and repurposed the internals okay put a new shell on it and decided to 
sell that in America. It's a little nuts when you say it out loud, but it costs $500 American for one of these. Okay. Um, compared to the, the like $20 you can spend on an NES at like a garage sale. Right. So let me get into the specifics on what makes this a $500 console. Like I said, they completely salvaged the internals of these non-functioning Famicom units. They create their own custom board in which they put the picture processing unit and the CPU on so that essentially the hardware is identical. But then they overlay their own hardware on top of it. There's a man who goes by the name of Kevtris who created this HDMI board in which the raw RGB signal from the PPU and CPU goes through that and creates a clean 1080p picture which goes to your TV so that I'm not sure if you remember but uh, with the old NES you had to plug it into your cable like right. your TV cable mm -hmm. and the picture was really fuzzy and it was meant for obviously the old tube CRT TVs the smaller TVs too like not the wide giant screens that we have today exactly like the picture was super fuzzy and it was meant for those kinds of displays sure with this additional board and hardware you can get pixel perfect quality on a big like 60 70 inch HD TV Going even further, right. they encased the entire thing in a solid brick of aluminum to sort of give it that uh, status. Like, right. this is an expensive this console. Is the, this is the highest. This is the Cadillac you, or the Rolls Royce of consoles. That is literally their slogan for it. Oh, they, really? Yeah, they call it the Porsche okay. of Nintendo. Forgive me, because yeah, <laughs> I'm not picking the cool cars. So, the Porsche of Nintendo, sure. But it's the same idea. The thing has four built-in controller slots. On the Famicom, there was an additional uh, expansion port for uh, Japanese-exclusive controllers. And then on the back, you have dual audio out. On the original Nintendo, there was only mono, because, again, TVs just didn't have stereo. It sure. wasn't a big thing at the time. And as we progressed, we changed but some of these games strangely enough were designed with mono audio in mind right so people again modded their consoles to dual output sure left and right channels and this analog nt does have that it's it's literally every single thing that you could want it plays famicom games it plays nintendo games it has everything it is kind of a my pride and joy if you will well there you go jesse i feel like this episode reminds me of the sea slug episode that i did a while back oh, with really? my sister-in-law which is going to be a two-parter so i'm afraid oh. we're going to have to say thank you and perhaps do a, a part two on this nintendo because i feel like we've just sort of oh, scratched man. the surface or just started to play with the console there there is quite a bit to go into like quite a well, bit it's then, then we will have you back. How's that? Absolutely. I'd be happy to come back.
Jesse, thank you so much for being part of the Insomnia Project. I should mention that I said jumping the shark earlier, and for our listeners who may not be be familiar with that term, it represents, it actually comes from Happy Days. The episode when the Fonz jumps the shark is the turning point of where a great television show went south or bad. So that term now is sort of used to describe anything where it hits that sort of breaking point of going from great to not great. So for people who are like, what does that mean? That's what Mm. jumping the shark means. And this episode certainly doesn't jump the shark. Thanks again, Jesse. Thanks. As always, the Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions, and we are recording this episode in Toronto, Canada.